Father's house, our prayer is that you will be blessed and strengthened by the power of Jesus Christ. We would like to thank you for joining us today as we study God's Word. have your Bibles, let's turn to Genesis chapter 3, and, and, I, and I am not going to be very long this morning. I want to give us a, an opportunity to, um, to get out and spend time with our mothers today, and I just want you to know today, if, if God's been speaking to your heart, if, if there's something that, that you've been wanting to do from the Lord, we want to hear from you in the, in the days and the weeks to come. I want to know what God's birthed in your heart, and I want to tell you this too. If God's asking you to do something, you don't need our permission to do it. We, you don't have to be brought up in front of the church and for us to rubber stamp it and say, we give you approval to go out and be the church. Just do it. Amen? Every ministry does not come through this pulpit or this stage or whatever that it is. Listen, God's called you. I didn't call you. I didn't save you. And it's not my anointing on your life. It's his. And if he's asking you to do something, then do it in Jesus' name. The Bible says whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Just do it, man. If you need my help, let me know. If you need to bounce an idea off me, let me know. But just go out and do what God's asked you to do. Amen? Amen. What would we do if we couldn't assemble like this? What does a house church in China do? What do they do? They just go out and they're the church. Listen, you can't organize a move of God. You can't structure a move of God. You just be what God wants you to be. Amen? Amen. Listen, you don't need my permission. You don't need anybody else's permission. So we're going to be talking with you. I want to meet with you. I want to know. Uh, hopefully there's some people here who got some administrative gifts because that's the gift my wife has and that's the gift that makes me look good. Amen? Amen? It's one thing to have a vision. It's another thing to carry it out. And it's it's great to do that. But I tell you what, my wife is awesome at the details and organization. I am not. And if you leave me alone with something, there will be a fire or somebody will get hurt, or just something usually terrible happens when I'm left to myself. So we need your gifts. We need your calm. We need uh, to know what God's speaking to you. I'm excited about what God is going to be doing. But let's turn to Genesis chapter three, verse one through seven, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm supposed to know, ain't I? And y'all thinking, I've got the mic. I'm up here. I'm supposed to know what's going on, right? I think I've heard from the Lord. I think I have. I think this is what God wants me to say this morning. But I'm going to be reading from the Amplified, and I really love this translation. I hope that's that's okay, since I'm going to do it anyway. So the Bible says, Now the serpent was more crafty, or he was he was skilled in deceit, than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. Put my glasses on. And the serpent, or Satan, said to the woman, Can it really be that God had said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, See, people think the devil can't ever tell the truth, but he can. He only tells the truth, though, to destroy you. 
Amen. He'll tempt you to sin, and then he'll tell you the devil's against the word of God, only to discourage you to the point that you don't want to try anymore. You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, except the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God said, You shall not eat from it, nor touch it, otherwise you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, You certainly will not die. For God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. That is, you will have a greater awareness. And you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to look at and the tree to be desired in order to make one wise and insightful, she took some of its fruit and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of the two of them were opened, that is, their awareness increased, and they knew that they were naked, and they fastened fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. This morning I want to preach on, on something called Ground Zero, the family. The family is Ground Zero. Amen? You're all going to hear a lot about family from me while I'm here, because we are a family. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you this morning that you would just come, that you would just anoint our ears to hear. God, anoint me to preach your word, Father. Let us be doers and not hearers only. And we ask it all in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Genesis is the book of the beginnings. Here we see the very beginning of life, the very beginning of what this experiment, this thing that God created man and woman, God created mankind, God created the very first family and he placed them in a garden and he would come down in the cool of the day and he would fellowship with them because that's what it was all about. That's what Jesus came to restore was that fellowship. No longer do you have to go through a high priest. You don't have to go through religious motions or any type of ceremony. You can go boldly into the throne room and you can talk to Father God all by yourself. You can have a conversation with the God of the universe. You can just whisper his name and you can be with him and he can come down and he can walk with you in your day-to-day life. That's where it all began. That was God's design so he could have a relationship with you. The family is a mirror image of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's man, woman, and children. God instituted the family because he looked around and he said, we will make men in our image. We will make them imitate us in heaven as it is on earth. They will be a type and shadow of what is going on in heaven. And I will come down and I will have fellowship with them. And I will walk with them. So ground zero of the battle of good and evil is the family. The very first family, the very first first book of the Bible, the beginning, the genesis of all creation, it started all the way back in the very first family in the garden. So let me ask you something this morning. If the devil has made this his top priority, doesn't it make sense that we do the same? If the devil started from the very beginning dividing the very first family, if he 
if he knew that that was the place that he would start to attack, does it not make sense that we would make family the very top priority of everything that we do? Every problem in the world can be traced back to a breakdown in the family. Some of you here today are angry and you don't know why, and it's because of a breakdown in your family. Some of you are dealing with bitterness and rejection and abandonment because you were rejected and abandoned by your family. Some of you have unforgiveness because of something that happened in your family. Some of you here today are depressed because of a breakdown in your family. Why do you think the family today is under such attack? Why do you think fatherlessness is an epidemic? Why is almost 50% of every kid born today born in unwed families? Because the enemy knows that everything begins and ends with the family. Do you know that as Christians we are the family of God? That we receive the spirit of adoption whereby we cry Abba, Father, it's all all about the family. Everything is about family. At the center of the garden was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Knowledge. At the center of their existence was the knowledge of good and evil. But they lacked love and wisdom. See, wisdom is the ability to navigate life carefully and correctly. See, we always, we've made knowledge the pursuit. In the church, we want, we all want a word from God. I want knowledge. I want knowledge. And we got knowledge, but we got no love. And we got no wisdom. Wisdom is effectively applying divine truth to everyday situations. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't know how to effectively apply it to your life, if you don't know how to effectively minister to somebody with wisdom, all you would do is wound them. So the man and woman were after knowledge. Wisdom is a skill of righteous living. It's perceiving the true nature of a matter and executing the will of God regarding it. You see, we like Eve have made knowledge of truth the highest priority, but we lack the wisdom to apply. Knowledge without wisdom is a weapon of destruction that has ripped apart many families and many churches. We want knowledge. We got knowledge of the word, but what do we do with it? I've told you we got to have grace and truth. There's got to be a balance. We got well, the Bible says this, so bless God, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, but why are you, why are you killing somebody over something silly? Why would you put a burden on somebody over something silly? Why do, do we not execute wisdom in the way that we execute things and apply it to our day-to-day situations and in our life? We've got to make love. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, knowledge makes people self-righteously arrogant, but love that unselfishly seeks the best for others builds up and encourages others to grow in wisdom. Man, knowledge puffs up. But love, that kind of love, knowledge makes you self-righteous and arrogant. Nobody likes to be in a meeting with a know-it-all, do they? And if you've got teenagers, you probably got a couple of those in your house. I'm amazed at how stupid I got when my kids became teenagers. They know everything. 
I mean, everything. And I'm thinking, God, I must be, I, I, I mean, I know I, I, I spent six years in high school. I got to know something. <laughs> that ain't a joke. That happened. I mean, surely to God, just hanging around for six years, I learned something. Right? I'm the only God that ever one day, I remember my principal said, Joe, come with me. And I said, all right, where are we going? We went to the counselor's office, and I got radically saved the summer before and decided I was going to finish high school. I never did quit. No, listen, I ain't a quitter. I kept going to school. But they understood something. This kid's never going to leave. <laughs> so one day the principal takes me to the counselor's office, and this got, this got my hand to God. This is the truth. He looks around, and he shuts the door, and he looks at the counselor and says, Graduate, Joe. Joe, don't you say nothing. <laughs> All right. I'll just just mail me my diploma. I've got a diploma at my house. It's awesome. Some of you graduated, I just wretch an agreement. <laughs> if you won't come back, we'll give you a piece of piece of paper that said you graduated, right? That's wisdom. Wisdom says this kid is not gonna quit. And he's going to be here forever. So let's give him his piece of paper and let him go home, right? That's effectively applying knowledge to a situation so that God's will can be carried out, right? That's what I'm talking about today. We've got knowledge of how to do things. We know how to have church. We know how to have programs. We know how to do all of these things. We know how to play music and lights and all this stuff. But we need love. We got to have love. I don't mean lip service kind of love. I mean real, fervent, agape love that seeks the best for other people. Love that says, you know what? I'm going to step back and let you go out front. Love that says, I don't need any attention. I don't need my name on a sign. I don't need a title. I just want to see God glorified. That's what we need. And so we've got to structure this in a way that facilitates that. Because in the way that we've done church for so long, we have this hierarchy that it makes it seem like the higher you go in that, the more important that you are. But the Bible says the greatest among you should be servant of all. Nobody in here can, can achieve a title or achieve a status greater than servant. We are all servants. I'm not above anything. I can plunge a toilet. I can sweep a floor. That's two years of reform school right there. I am awesome at floors. It's my specialty. I sweep like nine times a day at the coffee shop. People come by, they drop something, gone immediately. I'm all over it. Right? We've got to learn to serve and to love one another. But the family's in decline. Nearly half, 48%. Of American children are born to a mother who's not married. 43% of American children live without a father in the home, and about 50% of Americans over 18 are married, compared with 72% in 1960. Americans are having so few children that the fertility rate fell to a record low of 62.9 births per 1,000 women in 2013. And in an increasing number of states, there are now more deaths than births. 
Think about that for a minute, guys. The, the, there's been an end of male and female. Now, whatever a person's position on same-sex marriage, you have to acknowledge that at the core of the argument for the redefinition of marriage is that gender doesn't matter. These are all things that are learned in a family. It is the man that determines the sex of a child, not only biologically, but by affirming your daughters and your sons. Listen, a kid that is confused about his gender is a kid that was never affirmed by a father. What have you done to those of you guys that's got little girls? Moms, what did you do when your little girl was dressing up and she was looking all pretty? What did you say? Wait till daddy gets home. Wait till you show daddy. And when daddy comes home, she twirls around her desk, look daddy, and what does daddy do? Baby, you're beautiful. What you're saying, I affirm you. I affirm your femininity. I affirm you as a lady. I affirm you as a woman. Baby, you're beautiful. But we don't have that. Because why do you think that is, guys? Because the enemy knows. The enemy knows. If he knows, what are we doing? Are we just going to stand by and allow the enemy to destroy our families? The argument today is marriage is marriage and gender means nothing. The argument goes, so whether children are raised by a mother or father or two mothers or two fathers, doesn't matter. They say a father has nothing unique to offer a child that a mother can't provide and vice versa. Why? Because for the first time in recorded history, gender is regarded as meaningless. Increasingly, gender doesn't even exist. It's merely a social construct imposed on children by parents and society based on their biological happenstance of their physical features. When signing up for Facebook, you are offered nearly 60 options under gender. In various high schools across the country, boys are elected homecoming queen. A woman was recently kicked out of Planet Fitness for objecting to a man in the women's locker room. She was accused of intolerance because the man said he felt that he was a woman. Listen, I love you, but if you come in the bathroom, my little girl, I will punch you in the face. Praise the Lord. No, bless your heart. That made it right, didn't it? Why is this happening? Now, we, listen, we have knowledge. We can look at that and say, that's wrong. The Bible says, bless God. Ha! The Bible says homosexuality is wrong. The Bible says you can't do that. But what does love do about it? What does wisdom do about the problem? Listen, they know it's wrong. They're confused and they're blinded by the enemy. They've come from a wounded background. But what does love do about that? How do we reach people like that? We don't reach them. We don't have to approve of their situation. We don't have to tell them it's okay, but we've got to meet them where they are. And we've got to model what family is. They're blind. 
There's also the end of right and wrong. At least two generations of American young people have been taught that moral categories are nothing more than personal preferences. Recently, a professor of philosophy wrote an opinion piece in the New York Times titled, Why Our Children Don't Think Their Own Moral Facts. In it, he said, without fail, every value claim is labeled an option. This extends to assessing the most glaring of evils. Since the Nazis thought killing Jews was right, there's no way to know for sure whether it was wrong. It's the Nazis' opinion against that of the Jews and anyone else who objects. I've heard this sentiment from American high school students, including many Jewish ones, for 30 years. There is no right and wrong. Where do you learn right and wrong? In the family. At the dinner table. How many of y'all still eating dinner with your family three times a week with no phones or TV? Y'all thought that was just a sermon I preached on Sunday, wasn't it? I don't, I don't just do this to be doing it. And I hope you don't just do that to be doing it. I gave you homework. And there's a test coming up. You know what the test is? Your kids are going to go out there in the world. Did they learn right and wrong from, wrong from mom and dad? Did they learn how a man's supposed to treat a woman from the way you treat your wife? Did they learn how a way uh, uh, to to honor their husband the way the, the mom honors the husband in the home? Did they learn how to communicate in the home? Did they learn how to resolve conflict in the home? Did they learn how to uh, to love one another in the home? Put your stinking phone down and talk to your kids. Turn the TV off. Quit letting video games and TV raise your kids. You're called to be their mommy, not Barney the dinosaur. I do a really good Barney impersonation, by the way, but I'm not going to do it right now. But it's really tempting. We're going to sing I Love You, You Love Me at the end of the service here. Sounds appropriate, doesn't it? So if the enemy has made the family the number one priority, if that is ground zero of his attack on God's creation, should we not be making it our top priority as well? I'm here to tell you from this day forward, going for our Father's house is going to be about family. Listen, families look different. Some families are, come, are blended families. Some families are, look different than other families. Some families, you've, 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 you've had divorce and you got together and you got kids from this side and kids from that side. Listen, that's not what makes, what makes a, a functional family is how that you function in that family, that your roles fit your age, that you communicate, that you love each other. No family's perfect, amen? But we got to be real. We've got to model what family looks like. We also got to model what it looks like when things happen, when there are mistakes, when there's sin, that how we forgive and how we love and how we model that to the world out there. We've got to begin to do that. And I'm here to tell you today, from this day forward, everything we do is going to promote family. Why do you think people are on drugs? Why do you think people sell their bodies? 
Why do you think people are involved in all these things? For the exact reason why my kids don't. Because they belong to a family that loves them. Not a perfect family, but a family that communicates. Tonight, this Sunday night, is family devotions in my house. Twice a month. I don't kill them with it. We've sat down, and we've been going through the book of Acts. We sat down here a while back, and we came up with a family mission and a family vision statement and core values for our family with our kids. We searched our family history, and we told it to our children. This is where you come from. A little hard for my side, but I did the best I could. This is where you come from. This is what your ancestors was like. And Tracy did the same on her family. This is what your ancestors were like. This is your godly heritage now. This is who you are. You were born for such a time as this. You were called and chosen. You were anointed. I've told my kids that even before they were born. You were here to change the world. You are called and appointed. You are a child of the living God. You don't belong to me. You belong to him. And he has got his hands on you. You are smart. You are brilliant. You are beautiful. You are talented. You are everything that God says you can be. And everything you do will prosper in Jesus' name. You need to be telling your kids those things. I don't care how old they are. I'm telling kids that in my in their 20s. I call, I text, and I'm calling people all the time and telling them, I love you. You can do this. God's got this. God's got his hand on you. You're going to be all right. Those are things that you learn in the family. There's also been the end of religion. I'm almost done, I promise. There are no moral truths because there's no longer religious basis for morality. More than the enlightenment, it was the Bible, especially the Hebrew Bible, which was one reason America's Christians were different from the European Christians that guided our founders and other Americans' values. Not anymore. Instead of being guided by a code higher than themselves, Americans are taught to rely on their feelings to determine how to behave. Instead of being given moral guidance, children are asked, how do you feel about it? If I give you any advice at all today, young people, is your feelings will lie to you. What does God say about it? Amen? Adam, a lot of us overlook Adam's role in Genesis chapter 3. The Bible says he was there. He was present, but he was emotionally and spiritually absent. Men, the best thing you could do for your wife is protect her from the snares of the enemy. Speak up. Stand up. Be the man God created you to be. Love your wife like God loves the church. Don't just be present, be engaged in the family. Don't let your wife do all the discipline. Get involved. Tell your kids no. Learn how to be present and engage. Get off the couch and get on your knees and get involved. If we look at the story of David and Ziklag, remember when David was all fighting a battle, they came in at Ziklag and they took all the women and children and took them captive. You know why that happened? Because David left his family unprotected. Fathers, don't leave your family unprotected. 
Don't leave them unprotected in prayer. Don't leave them unprotected emotionally and spiritually. Tell your girls how much you love them and what they mean to you. Don't, I know it's awkward, especially for a father and little girls when they get older. You don't know how to, I don't know whether to touch my daughter or speak to her or look at her. Or, I don't know what to do. I just, I'm, I just don't know what to do. But I'm present. And I make sure she knows I love her. And I make sure I affirm her. And I make sure that I'm there when she needs me. Amen? This is going to be a church that strengthens and models family. The church is not a corporation. It's not just a 501c3. It's a family. The greatest need of this generation is to belong to a family. We can't reach a community of devastated families with a church full of devastated families. We have to begin to model what family truly is. We don't have to be perfect. We just have to be real. Someone asked me a while back, says, does father, our father's house need a full-time pastor? I said, no, we need full-time Christians. You don't need somebody you pay to be spiritual while you go home and be carnal. You don't need me to be at the hospital every time you get an ingrown toenail or every time somebody didn't speak to you and hurt your feelings. The body takes care of the body. If your back or your leg's itching, you scratch it. Don't call me to scratch your leg. That's weird. The body, listen. If your neighbor's sick, you pray for them. If your co-workers is lost, I can't get hired and spend the rest of my time leading them to Jesus. You lead them to Jesus. Well, there's a novel idea, isn't it? You're the church. We're a family. Family looks out for each other. Right? My grand I grew up in a pretty rough home. I was raised by my grandparents and I mean they would kill each other. I've seen my papa shoot stuff out of my mama's hands. I've seen him beat her, uh hold a gun to her. he held a gun to all of her heads at least five times, try to kill every one of us. But you know what? If you jumped in and tried to get in the middle of that, they'd both beat beat you up. That's crazy, ain't it? My great uncle one time told me, he said, they were killing each other. I mean, I mean, I, my papa was about to drown my mama in a mud hole, uh, walking up the road, just beating the brakes off each other. He said, I jumped in to help out and said, they like to beat me to death. That's what family does, right? Listen, we'll fight and we'll disagree or whatever. Hey, don't mess with us because family sticks out for each other, right? That's how it is. That's the way it should be. Listen, don't run your, your family members down. Don't let other people talk about your family. Let's stand up for each other. Amen. They want to come to the music. I'm done. I think I am. Ground zero for the attack of the enemy is families. I'm encouraged this morning because what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good.
We're going somewhere. How many wants to go? How many wants to be a part of what God's going to do? Boy, I do. I'm excited in my spirit. I really am. This is what gets me up in the morning. This is what excites me. Being able to set a course, being able to, to empower people to do what God's calling. Listen, everybody sitting here today, God's got his hands on you to do something great in your life. And we want to empower you to do that. We want to encourage you to do that. We want to resource you to do that. I'm here to tell you today, we got work to do our Father's house. If you would like to know more about Our Father's House and upcoming events, log on to ourfathershouseky.org.